Welcome back to the listener's commentary on the letter of 2 Peter. The listener's commentary is a crowd-funded Bible teaching effort. It's made possible by people who see the vision of the listener's commentary, who believe in the work of the listener's commentary, who've been impacted by the listener's commentary, and they generously support that work through their generous donations. And so if you're one of those who support this ministry, let me just say a huge thank you to you for making it possible. And if you're somebody who's been impacted, let me invite you to prayerfully consider setting up a recurring monthly donation. And let me tell you about a special opportunity. In just a couple days, we will move into the month of April, and April will be the two-year birthday for the listener's commentary. And so we've been putting this out for about two years. We're halfway through the New Testament already, which is pretty remarkable. Uh, things will slow down a bit when we hit some bigger books and some of that, but uh, we're two years into it. And so as sort of a birthday party celebration for the listener's commentary, anybody who sets up a recurring monthly donation in the month of April will get free access to the listener's commentary study hub. And so if you've been thinking about supporting the ministry, if you've been thinking about jumping into the study hub, April is the month to, to do both, right? And so set up a monthly recurring donation in the month of April, and I will send you a link where you can sign up for free access to the Listener's Commentary Study Hub. That's just my way of saying thank you. That's my way of celebrating all that God has done in the two years of the life of the Listener's Commentary. So uh, if that sounds like something that would be helpful to you, if you desire to support this work, then set up a monthly recurring donation in the month of April. The link to that is down in the notes below, or you can just go to listenerscommentary.com slash give, listenerscommentary.com slash give. All right, in this recording, we are going to be looking at 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. This is the first major paragraph of the letter. comes right after the introduction and greeting where Peter has introduced himself to the readers and given them the typical greetings uh, at the outset of the letter. And so that was our last recording. In this one, we're beginning really the body of the letter. And what Peter is going to do in this section is really speak about what God has done for them, verses 3 through 4, God's provision for living the Christian life. And then verses five and following of the section is the call to live out that life that God has given you. And so let's jump into 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. In this translation, it reads like this, For his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him, who called us by his own glory and excellence. Now, the first thing to note is... For some reason, the New American Standard Translation, which I'm using here, uh, has supplied the word for at the beginning of verse 3 as if somehow it's logically connected to the introduction and greeting. And in, in some ways, I'm sure it probably is. But the word for is actually not in the Greek. It's not there. And so it literally just begins... Uh, the letter by saying his divine power has granted to us everything. And so it's a new sentence and a new thought as Peter inaugurates this letter. And notice what he says there in verse three, how God's divine power, his godly power, right, has granted to us, notice, everything, not a few things, and not even a lot of things, 
everything pertaining to life and godliness. That is, God, by his power, has given those of us who are in Christ everything we need for life and godliness. When he says life, he means like real, true, lasting human life, the kind of life that we were created for and designed to have now and forever, life and godliness. Godliness means uh, living a Godward kind of life, a life that's unto God, directed towards him, with God and for God. So God's given us everything we need to have real lasting true life and to live that life in a godly sort of way, in a, in a with God kind of life. And he says that he God has given us this through, notice that, through a true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. The one who called us is God himself. Um, and this idea of a true knowledge, it's just a way to try to capture the force of this word. In Greek, there's epikonosko, knowledge, and then there's a compound of that. That's what we have here is we have the compound of just the, the normal word for knowledge. And the compound really just emphasizes the depth of that knowledge. And so what we have is real, accurate, deep, intimate knowledge of God. So it was through coming to know God that we have received everything we need for life and godliness. That's the point. And God is the one who called us to himself by, notice, his own glory. And his glory means his own divinity, his own power, his own character, and excellence. That word translated excellence is the normal word for virtue. It's the same word that will be translated moral excellence down in verse 5. And so by God's own virtue, his own character, and his own glory, he's called us to himself into the knowledge of him, and he's given us everything we need for life and godliness. Then Peter goes on in verse 4 and says, through these, that is, through God's glory and excellence, through these two things, God has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. I love that description of God's promises. They're precious, they're valuable, and they're incredible. They're magnificent. So he's granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them, that is by God's promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world on account of lust. Notice that phrase, partakers of the divine nature, or sharers in the divine nature. That word translated partaker means participant in, a sharer in, like you're you're taking it into yourself. You're sharing in it with God. So you're a sharer in God's nature. Like union with God through coming to know him leads you into sharing God's own character, God's own nature. And then he says, he kind of describes what that means. What does it mean to be a partaker in God's nature? Well, it means that you have escaped the corruption that is in the world on account of lust. That phrase, having escaped, is an aorist participle. It speaks of being liberated from a bad situation, that you've been rescued out of and liberated from a bad situation. What was that bad situation? Well, it was corruption. 
he says, the corruption that is in the world. And corruption doesn't just mean immorality. And corruption doesn't just mean wrongdoing. It actually speaks of the result of immorality or the result of wrongdoing. It's the decay and the deterioration that comes about because of doing what's wrong. This corruption, this decay comes about, he says, on account of lust, or we typically think of lust primarily only in the sexual realm, but the word is just desire. It comes about uh, because of desire. In other words, disordered desire leads to self-destructive living. That's what Peter is saying, that there is self-destruction, decay, deterioration that comes about because desire is out of control or disordered ordered or out of whack in some ways. Very similar to what James says in James chapter one, where James targets our own desires as the root problem of temptation and sin. Um, This reminds us that living an ungodly and unholy life ruins us. It ruins society and it ruins life. Like we actually deteriorate and in some sense become like less and less genuinely human when we live according to disordered, ungodly desires. We're like a plant that's been ripped out of the soil and is slowly deteriorating, dying. That's us when we're ripped apart from God and from his truth. And so the previous undesirable situation was the corruption that was in the world, but the new thing that we have fled to, the new situation that we have moved to, is the divine nature. That is, sharing in the divine nature replaces the world's corruption. Now we have divine life at work in us. We have divine character being formed in us. We have access to divine wisdom and power all because we've come to know God in Christ, and now we have everything we need for life and godliness. So, in view of that fact, that is, in view of all that that is now true about us, uh, we should live like it. That is, since we have these new resources, we have this new freedom, we have this new participation in God's very own life and character, we can and we must live out this newness. And that's why Peter begins the very next sentence in verse 5 with, now for this very reason also. In other words, in view of all the new newness that you've been given, in view of the new resources, new status, and new opportunity, live this way. And this is consistent with the way Christian living is described all throughout the New Testament. It's not live this way so you can be new. It's because you are new, live this way. Live who you are. Live who God has made you. And Peter's going to tell us here in verse 5, don't live this way casually. Don't be half-hearted about it. Be serious about this. Take this newness as a huge gift and be serious about how you live it out. And so Peter says in verse 5, Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence. And then he's going to give a list of things that we he, he's calling us to do. But notice that, applying all diligence. In other words, make every effort. Or you could translate, make haste with this. That is, be be serious about it. This takes serious concerted effort, but it's effort enabled by and made possible by God who's given us everything we need for it. 
So make every effort at this, and then Peter gives the list of the character traits that we should add to our life of faith in view of the fact that we are now partakers of the divine nature. And before we read this list of these character traits, let me just issue this word of sort of encouragement. Don't get lost in the order. As if Peter meant to say, you've got to kind of do them in this order. Like this is stair step sort of thing. That's typically not the way lists like this worked in the writings of Peter's day. Um, this list simply communicates the kinds of essential traits that we should make every effort to pursue, but not a sequence per se. Uh, and so he begins with faith and says, to your faith. So this is where our new life with Christ begins, right? It's the operating principle of our life in Christ. So since we have this faith, let's add some things to it because of who God has made us. And the first thing he says, add to your faith moral excellence. This is that same word that is translated God's excellence up in verse 3. Here, translated moral excellence. It's the word that meant virtue in the wider world of Peter's day. The philosophers and the moral teachers of his day used this word to speak of virtue. So add virtue toward, to your life of faith. Now that you're in Christ, now that you believe in him and you trust him, now that you're a partaker of the divine nature, work hard to add virtue, moral excellence, to your life. Then Peter says, and in your moral excellence, add some knowledge, supply some knowledge. Uh, Peter emphasizes this in this letter, all throughout the letter, knowledge is going to be emphasized because of the false teaching that they're facing. And he'll directly confront that false teaching in chapter two. But before he gets there, he's calling them and us to, to remember that we've got to live our faith fully out. And so that includes adding some knowledge to it. Adding some knowledge to your life of faith and your life of virtue. Uh, that is, understand how things actually are. Grasping what's true and rejecting what's false. That's what knowledge is. Um, but it goes beyond just grasping true info. Knowledge in the Bible and thus in this letter is like deeply relational. It's the knowledge of God. It's the knowledge of Jesus. We saw that in verse 3. We'll see that uh, down below in verse 8, that there's a, a personal relational component to this knowledge, a deep, truth-based, intimate knowing of God in Jesus, which includes knowing his ways. So add that to your faith and your virtue. Next, he says, and to your knowledge, add some self-control. Paul lists self-control as one of the fruits of the Spirit, like love, which Peter will mention below, is a fruit of the Spirit, right? In other words, Peter's words, it's part of the divine nature. Self-control is part of God's own character, so add it to your life. Uh, Self-control refers to strength within, the strength to do good and to do right in the face of temptation and evil, the strength to do what's necessary even when it's hard, the strength to do what needs to be done, whether you feel like doing it or not. Add some self-control to your life. Then he says, add some perseverance to your self-control or endurance to your self-control. It's the ability to stay put under pressure. When life is squeezing you down, when life is pressing you in, well, stay put, hang in there, continue to be faithful to God and to Jesus, even when it's hard. That's perseverance. That's endurance. Uh, this is the trait that's required in the face of trial and temptation and hardship. So perseverance, add that. Then he says, um, and to your perseverance, add some godliness. 
Um, we, as we noted above, could free this up to say living a Godward life. That's the idea of godliness. It often referred to piety and worship and reverence towards the gods, or in our case, towards the one true God. There's reverence towards God, and we worship him, and we live our life unto him and under him, godliness. And then, to your godliness, add brotherly love. Uh, this is that word Philadelphia, from which the city Philadelphia comes from, right? Brother, the city of brotherly love. Since Agape love is the very next thing he'll mention. We can be fairly confident that Peter intends to emphasize um, the nuance of Philadelphia as kind of family-type affection, a brotherly and sisterly love. In the New Testament, the church is a family. And that's why family terms are frequently used for members of the church, father, mother, brother, sister. And so we're to love one another with the same loyalty and the same affection as family. So add that to your life, that brotherly love, that kind of commitment, that kind of devotion, that loyalty and affection that family members show for one another. And then as the climax of all of this list, uh, add to your brotherly love, love, agape love. This is the consistent climactic Christian virtue, love, self-giving love, the kind of love that led Jesus to lay down his life for us on the cross. Um, agape love does what's best for another, regardless of how you feel or regardless of what you get out of it. It lays down its life for the best of another person, regardless of what's in it for ourselves. So that's the list that Peter gives. Now, one of the things to remember is lists like this were never uh, viewed as exhaustive. They were viewed as representative, right? And so Peter focusing on these things feels like this is the best representative list for the people that he's writing to, knowing what they need. And so Peter instructs that because we've be become born again and partakers of the divine nature, we need to make every effort to embody this new life and this new nature in the character of our life. Put these traits on into your life. And then he tells us of the value that these traits have, and he warns us about anyone who lacks these traits. So first the value, then the warning. And the value really is an encouragement and a promise that it's worth it. It's worth making every effort to add these traits to your life. Look at verse 8. He says, For if these traits, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they do not make you useless nor unproductive in the true knowledge of Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, if you've got these traits, then you're useful and you're productive in living out your relationship with Jesus. That's the point. Notice he says, If these qualities are yours, you have them, and they're increasing, like you're growing in them. There's more of these qualities. There's more love. There's more brotherly love. There's more godliness, right? Like it's increasing and growing over the months and the years ahead. Then they don't make you useless or unproductive. You're useful, to state it in the positive, and you are productive in the true knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that true knowledge is that same word we saw above that is that compound word for knowledge to emphasize this real, deep, intimate knowledge of Jesus. And so if you have these, you are useful and productive in living out your relationship with Jesus. But if you don't have these traits, 
now Peter's going to issue the warning. And he kind of issues a warning to the readers, but at the same time, he kind of shoots in the direction of the false teachers that he's going to directly confront in chapter 2 because they're the ones that are lacking these kind of qualities. In other words, someone who says they're a follower of Jesus but doesn't have these traits and isn't trying to acquire these traits, well, that's a problem. And here's what Peter says about it in verse 9. He says, For the one who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. And so notice the problems with those who say they follow Jesus, say they believe in Jesus, but they lack these qualities. They're blind. They're blind. That's the fundamental problem. They actually can't see. They don't know the truth. They're living in a dark. They're living a lie. They're blind. And he adds, or short-sighted. And short-sighted actually is a participle, meaning it's describing the particular kind of blindness they have. Uh, They're blind, uh, being short-sighted. And the idea of short-sighted is that their eyes are shut and all they can see is like the present. They don't even think about the future. They don't think about the long-range implications of their behavior. Uh, They only see what feels good now, and that's what they do. They don't look down the road. They're short-sighted. That's the idea. So these people are blind being short-sighted. And then he further describes it saying they have forgotten uh, their purification from their former sins. In other words, they've forgotten that they have been cleansed from sin. And cleansing from sin, uh, the way Peter understands it is, that includes forgiveness, but it goes beyond just forgiveness. For Peter, it entails not going back to the mud, as he'll say in chapter 2, verse 22. Like, uh, somebody who's been cleansed from their sin doesn't go back to the mud unless they forgot how clean it was and how good being clean actually was. And so these people, they've forgotten They've forgotten what God did to purify them and cleanse them. They've forgotten how great being cleansed from sin is. They love the the vomit and the mud more, as Peter will say in chapter 2, verse 22. Then at this point, Peter restates the call to be diligent and living out their new life. So he comes back to that idea of being diligent, making every effort to live out the new life and to live out their purification and to live out their sharing in the divine nature. So look at verses 10 and 11. Peter says this, Therefore, because these qualities are so useful and make you so productive, because not having them is such a bad thing, therefore, brothers and sisters, Be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choice of you. For as long as you practice these things, the traits that he just mentioned above, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. And so Peter says, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choice of you. And that that is, in other words, be all the more diligent to put these traits on, to live out your faith, to live out your calling is the idea. And the, the two words, calling and choice, actually come from the same root word in Greek. And together they emphasize God inviting people to himself and welcoming people into his family. And so God has called us to himself, and he's welcomed us into his family. We are now his people. The way we live our life 
actually can confirm God's calling and choice of us. That's the idea of make certain. It literally means to make firm. When we are diligent to live out the sharing in the divine nature that we've been given by God, by putting into practice the traits that Peter listed off, that confirms our calling, that confirms our election, that being part of God's family, God welcomes us in uh, however we come, right? God is gracious and generous. He forgives us. He welcomes us into his family. But then God's family has a way they're supposed to live. We are made in the image of God to reflect his character into the world. And so now that we're part of his family, we're going to live like it. We're going to learn the family way. And these traits that he described, well, when we make every effort to put them on, that that confirms our our calling that confirms our election, that confirms that we're actually part of God's family. In fact, Peter goes on to say, for as long as you practice these things, these traits, you will never stumble. Now, that word stumble doesn't mean like you'll just never trip and fall. It means to fall to our demise, uh, to fall to our doom. As long as you practice these traits, guess what? You're never going to fall to your own doom. Instead, Instead, what will happen is the way into Jesus's kingdom will be open wide to us. That is, that just, that's a way of describing, we will, we will receive a rich and abundant welcome into Jesus's eternal kingdom. Like, you want to have no fear in the face of death. You want to have complete certainty that you're going you're gonna to get a warm welcome, abundant welcome into the eternal kingdom of Jesus. Make every effort to live out the new life that he has given you. That's not perfect. You're not, it's progress, not perfection. Like if these qualities are yours and increasing, if you're growing in the character of Christ, you will receive a warm, rich, abundant welcome in Jesus's eternal kingdom. So let's just wrap this section up with just a, a few thoughts. The false teaching that is making its way around the churches to which Peter writes is that because God is so gracious, you can live however you want. Let sin abound. It doesn't matter. Satisfy your urges. It doesn't really matter at this point in life because God is gracious and merciful. So here, from the outset of his letter, Peter instructs the readers and us that indeed the way you live does matter. It matters a ton. So in view of all that God has done for us, uh, giving us his promises, freeing us from corruption, cleansing us of sin, making us a sharer in his own nature, right? In view of all of that, we should make every effort to put on God's own character in how we live our life. That's the only way, the only way to make sure and certain of our calling. That's the only way to ensure a rich welcome into his eternal kingdom.